Uh, we've been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, and today we're in chapter 8. We're actually going to look, it's a short chapter, 17 verses, and we're going to kind of just work our way through it. I think there's some really good uh, things to, to, be, to be drawn out of here that are pretty applicable to each of our lives, and, and, uh, and so we're just going to work through this. And we're going to start, I'm going to start with the end. I'm going to start in verse 16. I'm going to read a couple verses there, and uh, then we're going to work our way back through, okay? Um, so verse 16, it says this, and this is Solomon, who uh, was credited through Scripture as the wisest man who ever walked uh, this planet, had all, everything that came with that wisdom, and, and, and here's what he wrote in verse 16. It says, when I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. And kind of holding the two in contrast to one another. And this is what he says. He says, no one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. You know, as we look at the life of Solomon, King Solomon, uh, who's the son of David, he was king of Israel. And to really understand his story, you have to go back to Second Chronicles right after where he was appointed as king. Because in the very beginning of Second Chronicles, the first thing he does as he takes over this kingship is he commits, recommits himself, 100% commits his leadership, and 100% commits the nation of Israel back to God. It's the first thing he does. In fact, he calls these huge assemblies of worship, and uh, a handful of days towards commitment to him of sacrifices. And, and he just goes before God and he goes before the entire nation and just says, if I do anything as your king, as I do anything as your leader, I want you to know that I'm going to put God first. That's what I'm going to do. And, I, and, and as a new leader, I think he, he's, you know, he's, he's laying it out there. He didn't come out and just say, we're going to just be this powerful military force that's going to dominate or do all this stuff or all the things that might appeal to uh, the pride of people or the hope of people. But instead, he just says, we are just going to be a nation that is just committed to God. And he's saying, so I'm going to be committed to God and I'm going to lead through a complete commitment to God. And so he establishes himself just like this. And then Second Chronicles says that, Shortly after that, in a dream, God came to him and he said to him, he said, he said, ask anything you want, Solomon, and I will give it to you. Anything. And so Solomon responded back and he said, God, this is all I want. He says, I want wisdom to lead your people. Imagine that. Imagine God came and you said, anything you want, like a magic genie, you know, three wishes. What do you want? Can I have another wish? No, that's not, that's not legal. All the money in the world? No, you can't have that. You know, what, what would we say? And Solomon at this point, I think he understood the gravity of what was going on to some extent. And he said, God, I just need your wisdom to lead your people. That's all I ask. And God said, because you didn't ask for riches and success and all this stuff, he said, I'm going to grant you wisdom. But not only am I going to grant you wisdom, but I'm going to give you everything else you didn't ask for, but I know your heart wants so God just blessed him and gave him all of this. And so all of his wisdom and all of his success and money and power and, and everything that he succeeded as a leader, all of this was 100% attributed to the hand of God in his life. 
So he had all this stuff because he committed himself to God. And even in that, we know that along the way, he started slipping away from it. He began, he's still in that. He, he began to live a life a little bit self-indulgent. He began to twist some of the liberties and the freedom in his own life to place him to a spot where he was a little, began to get a little far away from who God wanted him to be. Even in his wisdom and his greatness, and in this, he had everything. Favor with God, favor with man. Even in that place that we think is a thing we dream of our whole life, he had everything. And yet, in his wisdom, he began to fall a little. And so we pick up in Ecclesiastes, he's writing this letter kind of in this bad spot. And we've talked about that. Kind of in this funk that he was in and realizing he was far from God and all that he had tried to achieve. And even God had given him this and yet he realized it's not everything he hoped it to be. And almost in this confusion, but almost in this feeling of, of repentance, but uh, of calling himself out and just revealing what's going on even in his own life. The guy who had it all and the wisdom to go with it. And I think here in Ecclesiastes is kind of a confession. I think he's saying, um, I don't have all that I thought I had. I don't have the full ability because I'm man. I have everything that most men would aspire to have and yet it's still just nothing. And I think he's coming to a place where he's just really realizing that himself. And, and, and it's revealing the temptation that even though we know God is so much greater than us, there's still that risk of us getting to that place where we think we're pretty hot. And he's reminding us that that's kind of the beginning of the fall. It's kind of the beginning of some really bad things in his own life. So he's being vulnerable. I think he's, he's being honest. I think he's being authentic. I think we see Solomon here in a place where after all he's experienced, he's finally just done playing the game of I'm a really good leader and look at me before you as a man of God. I think he's just going, wow, even in all of that, I'm just a dude who needs God. Now, why is that refreshing to me? I was thinking about that this week. I was doing a study with a group of guys and it was just kind of like, why is that refreshing to me when I see a really great guy, guy of wisdom, a guy following God, he kind of struggles a little bit. It's refreshing. I think misery loves company. That's true. <laughs> it doesn't give me permission to fail, but it makes me not beat up myself when I don't do as good as I think maybe I hope I could. And I just remember my dependency upon God. The reason I bring this all up is because we look at this end of this chapter and it literally says, I saw that all God has, to, has done and there's no one who, compre- who comprehends what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, he's, this is himself. He says, even if the wise claim they know, they can't even comprehend it. So it's a confession. So the question today is, if it can't be done, if it can't be comprehended, then what is our lot? What is our lot? If we cannot comprehend, if you and I, we cannot comprehend the greatness of God and all that he's doing, all that he's done, the, 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 the finite details of what's happening, if you can't understand it and you and I cannot comprehend it, then what are you supposed to be doing? What are your thoughts? What do we spend our life doing then? Anyone? Persevering, striving, 
For what? To know him. Who said that? Brilliant. What else? Yeah, I think that if, if it can't be done, if no one can discover its meaning, if no one can really comprehend it, then why not spend our life following or seeking the one who can? Doesn't that make sense? I think that's what Solomon is saying in Ecclesiastes. All the chasing, all the stuff, everything, all the issues in our life that we can't quite comprehend, all the little things we're looking for answers for, we're not going to find them outside of him. And so he says, why not just follow the one who, who can? I think Solomon is done playing games. It reminds me of Isaiah 1, and I love this scripture because it just... It it punches me between the eyes so many times where it says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Uh, Other translations, it doesn't just say, let us reason. It says, come now, let us settle the matter. Can we finally just settle the matter that that I am God and you are not? (laughs) Can we just do that? Wouldn't we be better off, honestly, as a church, as individuals, in our marriages, in our families, in our lives, in our careers, in our pursuits, and everything, and we just come to the place where we could just really realize, no, He is God, we're not God. And even when we grow and we gain some wisdom in Him, we're still not God. And we still have to take a posture of humility and as a learner, constantly going, oh yeah, I messed that one up too, didn't I? Wouldn't that be a better place to be? Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, this sounds like a threat. And I got to be honest with you, it might be. Not in the threatening way as we would threat. But I think this just comes out where God is just saying, let's reason together. We have this life that seems, even in moments of fulfillment and moments of success and moments of happiness, said, but all of that is nothing. And you could choose two paths. So as we look through Ecclesiastes 8, what I love about this chapter is I think Solomon kind of outlined some of the things that were some of the biggest temptations for him as a believer. And I think that's good for us because those of us who are new to faith or new back to church or whatever that may, may be to you, it's a really good thing for us to be able to look at these things and, and keep an eye on them. And I think it's a really, really good things for those who grew up in church and have always been in church because, listen, we get to the point where we think we know everything and we just don't. And when we get to that place, our dependency upon hearing God, not just working for God and doing things for God because we heard it before... That will kill us. I think God just blows up our paradigm constantly in our own lives because it makes us dependent upon him constantly. I think it's one of the greatest gifts we have. So if we find ourselves in this place, we're a veteran of the faith. We need to remember Solomon himself was the greatest veteran of the faith in this time. And he's saying, guys, we need to be looking out for these things. But there is wisdom. There is wisdom to be found. I want to give you three things that I put on the outline here that I think as we're looking through the scripture and it's a reminder in this, there's three things that are significant to remember, first of all. And this is a posture thing. As we look into the rest of these, we kind of got to, we got to develop the lens in which we're going to see these through. First of all, I hope we see it through the lens of the gospel and knowing of what's coming. You know that Jesus died for all of us and that no matter what we do, we can't earn it, we can't deserve it. It's a free gift of life. And so we have 
back to him a life of worship to give back. But this lens of interpreting, the first thing is, is that there is wisdom in, in knowing that we cannot know. There's wisdom in knowing that there's some things we just can't comprehend. One of the reasons there's wisdoms in that, wisdom in that is because what we're doing is we're surrendering ourselves and we're allowing him to be up here and us to be here always. That ladder we try to climb to be just like, I want to understand God more. I want to just be there. Remember, he just keeps knocking it down. And it's like Jesus are just pulling on our ankles. Like, it doesn't matter. You can't get there anyways. Why don't you just stay down here with me? There's, there is a wisdom in knowing we cannot know because there's that point where you just grab onto something that is just owning you. And you're like, I just want to comprehend this. I want to understand what's going on. And then you just kind of release it and go, oh, there's peace. And just knowing that God knows. I wrestle with this. I don't think this is a coincidence that the apple came from the tree of knowledge. At the very beginning, I think that there's just something in our desi- in, inside of us that just wants to know. We just like to know everything. We want to be in people's. That's why gossip is such a big. We like to be in people's heads and their whatever. What is that? We're freaks. Okay. And knowing we cannot know, there's wisdom in embracing the journey. Scripture talks about all the time, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough problems for itself. Now, you and I know, yeah, well, I know, don't worry about tomorrow, but we still have to blah, 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 blah. We need to really check that. How much we really do worry about tomorrow. Because here's what it reveals. When we embrace the journey of today, what we're saying is, God, I do trust you with tomorrow as long as I'm faithful today. Now, there's an element of our minds that are going to be on that constantly because we're human. But there's a certain amount of surrender. When we focus on where we're going, what we're saying is, God, I trust you with where we're going, but I, you probably need a little help with it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my eye on it for you. All right? So what piece of that do we need to just back up and go, God, I know you got that. I'm just going to concentrate on this moment. And there's many reasons for that. One is because I believe there are opportunities in every moment. Not only for the kingdom to break through in our life, but for us to give glory to Jesus, for others to be around us and and see what's going on, that we are a light in our own worship for others, all kinds of things that are going on there. But I think one of the biggest things that it's, it serves as evidence that we know the results are in his hands. So knowing we cannot know, there's wisdom in embracing the journey. And what, what this is really hard for us, this part. But this is what Solomon, Solomon keeps coming back to, is that there is wisdom in the enjoyment of life. And we are really weird about this. Because instantly our mind goes to what kind of liberties we can abuse. Yeah, I'm going to tell you how. I'm going to enjoy some life. I'm going to head out. with it. I, boy, I enjoyed life last Friday, I'll tell you that. I don't, our, our mind, this is not what it's talking about. He's reminding us constantly that we cannot truly enjoy life on the level God desires us to enjoy life outside of his will. And a submission to him in that journey. That there's an enjoyment that is supernatural. You know, the Bible talks about that peace that surpasses all understanding. I think there's an enjoyment that passes all understanding. And I think that's what Solomon is trying to help us grasp. And I love it. And the enjoyment, verse 15, talks about that. I commend the enjoyment of life. There's nothing better for a person under the sun than eat, drink, and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life. Key. God has given them. It's of God. All right. So as we look at this, remember, there's wisdom in knowing we cannot know it all. Sometimes we just got to 
let God be God, you know? Let our minds suffer. There's wisdom in embracing the journey. And there's wisdom in the enjoyment of life. There's also some specific things here. I want to I look at six of them as we look through this verse. Starting in verse 1. Man, when I read this, I read this this morning again. I always read through the chapter again just to kind of get my head around the whole thing of what we're teaching prior to coming here. And just, uh, God was just affirming. He was just like, this is, this, is, uh, this, is what we, this is some things we really miss. And so I just pray, God, that you would, you would show us where we're missing it. And that we would take an honest look, that this be worshipped to you today. Not to hear my words, but to look at this scripture that, that God gave us to, re, to shed light on our lives. Because I think there's this thing that we have, I, I, we think, okay, if faith is real, then it's supposed to feel and look and whatever like this. And, and we keep sabotaging ourselves. Who is like the wise, verse 1? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. Verse 2, obey the king's command. And here it, it, it's talking, I mean, it's literally talking about, it's doing, using the story of a king. And we know anytime it uses a king, we can make the connection to God very quickly. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. I think some of the greatest instruction right there, Solomon gives us, to not be in a hurry to leave his presence. Because we think that God just wants us to go out and do so much. That we're just, okay, God, yeah, 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 God, yeah, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it, go, go. We'll do, yeah, I've heard that. Okay, we got it, go. And we miss just being in his presence. We commit one day a week to come together for corporate gathering. And we're so, isn't it weird that our brain starts checking out on that third song after communion? We want to just go think about lunch and what we're going to do with the kids, if we can get them out of the ditch and that. And just, we just, we rush out. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm the same way, and I just got done teaching. Um, it's just really weird. What it tells me is how much we, what we really think about the presence of God and being in it, just trusting in that spirit and that movement, that something is actually happening here in that moment worthy. I think, I think sometimes we just, need, we just need to slow down. I think of some of the words we were just singing in the song, so the Lamar, fantastic job of choosing the songs today. And uh, we sing a song that says, Forever my heart will sing of how great you are. What was the, where was your heart when we sang that? Where was our mind when we sang that? Were we mouthing words or were we just thinking, we have the opportunity to just be here and, and beg God's presence to be among us as we worship him. Where's our heart, mind? I think it takes some intentionality. I think that's all that Solomon is saying is, hey, when you give God your time, will you give him your time? Will you value presence? Over just like when we read scripture. If you maybe you study scripture daily, do you just rip through it to say you study the scripture? Or are you looking for God in it? And you the living word of God. This is an art. This is the thing that we've lost in the church today. That that practicing presence of trusting and valuing and giving God not only because He's worthy, because He's King, because I just think He has something to say. That thing you're struggling with right now, or you just don't have answers, I think he has something to say if we'll stop and listen. I just don't believe that if you just beg God with all your heart and give him everything of yourself, 
that he just doesn't want you to hear him in it. But we just need to slow down. The first thought I put here, I was trying to put a positive spin. I, my first list was all, slow down, quit being a baby, blah, blah, blah. Instead, <laughs> I tried to be a little more positive. So the first one is take time to evaluate honestly. And I want us to do two things. The first is evaluate God honestly. That's what Solomon is doing constantly. Before we do anything, I want you, us to remember how great he is and how not so great we are in our natural state. Now, because of Christ, some awesome stuff's going on. But let's just put, it, put God in his place. Let's put ourselves in, in our place, first of all, and evaluate how we really feel about God on this issue. Do you really trust God on this issue? Are you really seeking him on this issue? Do you really care what he has to say on this issue? Are we ignoring it because we already know what he's going to say and we're not going to like it, so we're not even going to ask? There are things I don't even pray about because I know what God's already going to say and I don't want to hear it. You ever do that? Just me? Okay. Yeah. Take time to evaluate honestly God and then also you and me. If we're to get to the place where Solomon is saying, just, you know what, I'm just tired of playing games here because I'm miserable. This, is, this isn't working. Something's empty. We're missing something. Can you just, can we come back and just say, God, I don't know that I've really wanted to hear it. God, I'm, I'm not sure that I've really pursued you the way scripture. I'm not sure that I'm really given of myself. And God, if I was you, I wouldn't tell me either. Have you, have you ever gone, gone there? Uh, what I usually do is I just sit there and complain. God, why don't you? Instead of God, I know why. Because I'm, I'm a fool most of the time. But, all right, we'll get to how we fix that. Okay. Take time to evaluate honestly. Let's move on. Verse 3. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. But the next one says, do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? There's a couple ways to look at this. And um, I think to stand up, many times to say, I'm going to stand in this, that I'm making a bad decision, I'm going to stand in that. And a lot of times it's, I don't like what you're doing, so I'm standing up and I'm out. Whatever it is, the heart of that is questioning the heart of the king. And I think we default to that. When something terrible happens, I want to go, God, how can you allow that? You ever heard that? Heard that? It's, there's an anonymous quote going around that I think is really good. And it, it, it's, it, and it says, um, something effect of, sometimes I just really like to ask God, how can he allow all this injustice and suffering and all this stuff to happen in the world? But then I'm afraid he'd ask me the same question. It's kind of revealing to some. Be sure not to judge God's intention. As king, be sure not to step in there and start going, man, God, why would you do that? Because even if you don't say it, but if you begin to think it and go there, it's revealing of, our, of where our heart really is. It's revealing of how we really feel about God. Now, here's the deal. If that's how you really feel about God and you say that, then that's okay because God's not afraid of you. He's not afraid of our doubt. He's not afraid of our questions. But what he wants us to do is get to that honest place where we at least know it's our doubt. So that then he can begin to deal with us where we are. And I pray that's why we hope to have a community of faith, a church body that is vulnerable with each other and is honest and transparent with each other because we can't afford to have judgment for each other where we struggle. We have to be a place where we can voice that, not because we hate God, but because we love God and we don't understand and we want to. Because we've settled the issue that God is God and we're not. 
So be sure not to judge God's intentions because we tend to do that. And those are the types of things that will get in the way. All right, verse 5. Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm. Talking about the king again. It's just reality. It's like some things are very spiritual, some things are very practical. Obey the king and you keep your head, right? Sometimes it's just dumb. If we were, you know. Where was I? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm. And the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter. Though a person may be weighed down by misery. What is this, what is this saying? Let's, let's talk back and forth so you don't fall asleep on me. What is this saying? What do, what do we need to be watching out for? What is, what is it saying in this, these couple verses? Read them again if you need to. Verse 6 gives the answer. Maybe not get impatient. Why? Because there's a proper time and procedure for every matter. Everything that's happening, everything that we desire and hope to happen or see or experience in our life, there's a time and place. Again, it's this trusting of God, but more than just trusting of God in this moment, in this perspective, it's trusting God's timing, right? It's really hard for us to really think about eternity. It really is. Because our life is our life, and we think about eternity as afterlife. But in God's economy, eternity is life. This is kind of like pre-life. It's hard for us to understand. We can't comprehend it. But what God is doing, he, what he says he, has done, he will do, he will do. And, and again, it's this part of surrender and this trust, but not only in his timing, but also in his ways, it says, and procedure. That's really hard too. Okay, God, now I finally settled the timing. This is going to happen in your timing. This is going to happen because you want it, not because I want it. But here's how we're going to do it, God. Right? You ever done that? But since it's my family or my kids or my marriage or my job or whatever, I'm just going to, okay, God, you got this half and I got this half. Again, thinking about our posture. What I love about these few scriptures is that it does a couple of things. First of all, it acknowledges misery. Do you notice that? At the end of verse 6, it says, even though, although a person may be weighed down by misery. He says, even though you may be weighed down by misery, you just have to, you got to hang in there and you got to trust God's timing. There's timing and there's a, no, but God, I need it now. And he's like, yeah, you think you need it now. But I'm God, remember? And I don't, listen, as a human being standing on this stage here, I will tell you, I do not get that. And I wish I did and, and, and whatever, but what I, I, I just, I have to trust that. There, therein lies my hope. <laughs> it not only acknowledges our misery, but it also then reveals our temptation to take it into our own hands. Look at this. There's a proper time procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. Jump to verse 11. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Well, the reason why we need, to, we need to be careful about God's timing and trusting his timing and what he's doing, if he says, focus on this and I'll take care of this, the reason we got to, yeah, but it's not happening fast enough. Well, you're not taking care of this. The reason we need to focus on that, we need to trust him in his timing, is because when we see it and we're not cool with it, our hearts start scheming. 
In our nature, our hearts start figuring out a plan to take care of it on our own. So we have to be careful. Solomon's. I think this happened to Solomon. I think this happened to King Solomon, the wisest dude that ever walked the earth. I think he came to a place and he started figuring it out for God and started doing it for God instead of of God or with God. And things just backfired. And he goes, oh, if you hear anything, guys, hear this. God has a time and place in a way. Just, we got to trust that. All right. Verse 9, let's move on to verse 9. All this I saw as I applied my mind. So did you get that? Set your hearts on trusting his timing and maybe add a little line and his ways. Do any of you, this is rhetorical, this, don't answer this, do, but do any of you have something in your mind right now that you're like, I'm really dealing with this and I need to hear a word of God? Um, would you be thinking about this in light of that? I don't know what it is. This could be all over the map. It could be something small, something huge, whatever. Maybe, maybe there's something him in evaluating him or ourselves. Maybe in judging his intentions. Maybe in trusting his timing and his method. Maybe even revealing that, oh man, I got involved in this and the reason this is jacked up now is because I did that a year ago. I didn't consult God a year ago. Now I want him to bail me out. But a year ago, I was like, no, I got this, God. And here I am. And instead, we want to just blame God and say, God, why could you allow this? He's like, because you didn't ask me back then. All right. This one is hard, guys, and I, and I pray, I think this is the hardest one for us to see. All this I saw, verse 9, as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There's a time when a man lords it over others to his, to his own hurt. Then, too, I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This, too, is meaningless. So saying, there are those. There's, there's, here's a wicked thing, he said. Um, there's a guy who, who has everything going or maybe even spiritually is, is, is raising up. He's praised in front of the people for who they are. And then, he, and then the way he lords it over, it ends up being his own demise. He's talking about spiritual pride. I think there's a place that we get that maybe this was the greatest danger for all of us because we want to we want to know there's a pressure in the church to know oh i know the scripture i know how to live i'm don't judge my life because i'm following you know and i think there's a place we get after years and years and years of trying to live out our faith where we think we get to that place and and we no longer have anything to learn from anyone and we sit there and we go oh you want to do that well that's cute garage sale for orphans great i see what you guys are doing but, you know, I've been, I've been a Christian all my life. Well, really need, I'm going to just be doing, oh, that, thank you. And, and, and maybe that's not it. There's all kinds of things we do that to. There's all kinds of things we do that to. But what Scripture is reminding us is Solomon is telling us, when we get to that place where we're looking down at, at, at all the other Christians out there that aren't as, aren't as good as us or aren't as wise as us or haven't experienced as much as we have experienced, and we look down, it says it's to our own demise, it's to our own hurt. And that's on us. I think there's nothing more just gross than just a really spiritually proud, arrogant person. I can say that because I have been there and at times I'm there now. And it's just stupid. Because that is 100% about me and you. And it's not about God. You want to take God out of the equation like that? Put us up there and start looking down on everyone else. I don't need you. I got this. 
oh, I know you guys are doing this together like this, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this on my own even better. Listen, God never, Jesus never prayed for us to do things on our own even better. He prayed for unity of the church. Because even if we're unified and we're screwing things up, people are going to look at our unity and go, wow, Jesus was right. The world will know our, that word followers of him because of our love for one another. Let's unlock the power of the spirit in our witness instead of our ability. When we do that, when we unify, when we humble ourselves, when we're vulnerable before one another, something spiritual happens that honestly, a lot of us, including me, have missed most of my church journey. Because we're spiritual Rambos doing it on our own instead of a part of the body that Christ died for. So here's the point there. Identify our areas of spiritual denial. You understand the areas where we have pride or we have arrogance or we have individualism, where we are hurting the body. Or hurting, and, and, and the truth is, is we're hurting ourselves. Because the hand cannot say to the mouth, I do not need you. The foot can't say to the eye, I do not need you. It's together. We are. And it's not us that does it. It's the journey, how we get there. God has the results. Identify areas of our spiritual denial. Maybe even in the issue you're struggling with. Maybe it's not because you've become a Pharisee or I've become a Pharisee in our modern time. But maybe we're, we're denying the spirit in our own marriages and our relationships and our, our pursuits. And we don't, even, we, we don't even realize it. But it's a lack of surrendering that area because we honestly think we got it. Verse 12, although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God and are reverent before him. He says, even though I see this and I see the success and all these people can just have all this stuff and it looks awesome or whatever, he says, I see it, but I know in my heart. It's a surrender of the heart. I see it, but I know in my heart. There's nothing better for a person under the sun. Goes on verse 15. Oh, where was I? 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12. Although a wicked person who commits 100, time, 100 crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Verse 13, yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them. We know that in our heart and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There's no reason to be envious of it because we know. But then verse 14, there is something else meaningless that occurs on the earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too is meaningless because it's temporary. And I think here's the thought here. We have to continue to, to rest in this. The, la- the second to last point there is to, then to learn to just rest in his justice. Um, there's not one of us in this room who wants what we deserve. You and I, we, I do not want what I deserve. I promise you that. Because the Bible says clearly that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And that the penalty of that is death. Eternal death. So we don't want what we deserve. But we have to trust God's judgment. We have to trust his justice. And the areas where we know and we see there is injustice, don't allow that to make you question God's presence. Don't question, because what we're doing is we're questioning his timing. Justice will be served. That's why we need Jesus. 
Because there's a payment for our sin. That's why apart from Christ, we have no life. Because we will get what we deserve unless there's a penalty for the sin. And when we receive Christ, the penalty is paid and ultimately we are getting what we deserve. Eternity with him because of his grace and because of his goodness. And so why would do we not rest in that? Let's reason together. Let's settle the matter. Whatever the issue is. Rest in his justice. I don't really know how or when or what that looks like, but I do know he will. All right, last thought, and I like this one. This is happy. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days in their toil, in their toil, not instead of their work or toil, in their toil, all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. Last thought, enjoy the honor of being a child of the king. Slow down and enjoy the honor of being a child of the king. Here's what I, I believe that God is leading us to right now as a, as a church family. Um, I pray that God is leading us back to him, humility before him. I pray that today as we look at Ecclesiastes, that instead of going, yeah, that's right, we need to do that, that's right, everybody else needs to do that, and everything else instead, my prayer is that we would just humbly come back to the Father as a child and just say, Dad, I'm messing this up. Knowing that you're doing some cool things, but ultimately... God, I can, I can really mess this up and I can really not. What do I got to do to get it right? I'm sorry. And just trust in the fact that I really believe he would just say, you just did it. Do we take communion today as we wrap up? Will you put on your heart and your mind, where are the areas? God, I'm not trusting your timing. God, I'm not trusting in justice. God, I'm just, I've got me. Here's you and here's me. We're just a team. But God, you got, I got to put you back in your place. Let's pray.